we find ourselves today in the seventh part of our series called The Cross. Uh, and today we are looking at something incredibly important. Um, if you were to talk about Jesus, you would be saying that he is the most important person that history has ever seen, that he is the king of heaven and earth. And that if you were talking about something about Jesus itself that is the most important thing, we would have to say that it is his blood, the blood of Jesus. Uh, this series attempts to try and unpack something uh, of the cross in all of its depth and complexity and power. Um, and, I, and I have to say that in my preparation times over these last few weeks, I've written more that I have discarded than I've kept. And I typically write two and a half, three thousand words a sermon. I've been working hard on this series. I've wanted you to receive as much as I, that, that I feel the Lord has given me. And yet at the same time, I feel like I've only scratched the surface. This is a big message today. Uh, now, I, know, I don't normally preach in a suit. That's not my style. I normally wear kind of an open shirt. But today, because we're preaching about the blood of Jesus, I felt that it was appropriate to give it a proper dignity. I did. I absolutely did. I want to recommend to you uh, a particular book. Uh, if you jump into your YouVersion Bible app, uh, you will see, uh, if you go to YouVersion on your phone, uh, and go to events and then find Birmingham City Church, you will find we have a live event available for you. Um, and you can go into that. And what you'll see there at, at the top, in fact, you'll see the picture of the John Pett stained glass window. Uh, we talked about that in week two of the series on something called uh, the series title. That particular title was called Scandal, wasn't it? And we talked about the scandal of the cross um, and what happened at that church in Alabama for which that window was made. But if you scroll a bit further down, um, you'll see a title of a book called Out of the Black Shadows, The Incredible Transformation of Stephen Lungu. And I've got a copy of that book here. Um, this is on sale at the moment on Amazon. And uh, I highly, highly recommend this book. Uh, this, I would say this is in the top 10 of all of my Christian reads of all time. It's an absolutely stunning book. Uh, treat yourselves and read it over the next few weeks. It's absolutely superb. It talks about the story uh, of a gentleman called Stephen Lungu who was born in the former Rhodesia. It's now Zimbabwe. He was born there in the early 50s, uh, maybe even the late 40s, actually. And he grew up, but he had a terrible lifestyle, a, a terrible life start, I should say, not lifestyle, uh, although it led to a bad lifestyle. He was abandoned by his dad at a very early age, and then his mother rejected him when he was a little boy. And he grew up kind of scavenging on the streets, digging out of uh, bins to feed himself, uh, just a real tearaway, sleeping under railway bridges, uh, just the, everything you would never, ever want for one of your kids. And yet he somehow survived. He became sort of feral and kind of quite instinctive and went sort of uh, formed, uh, formed a bit of a gang as a boy. And, then, and as he grew up as a teenager, they formed a gang called the Black Shadows. Uh, and this gang was notorious for its destructive intents. They caused trouble. They would turn up at things uh, and they would throw firebombs. They would, um, uh, you know, they'd set fire to things. They would, uh, they'd start riots. They, would, they were just hell-bent on causing as much trouble as they possibly could. Um, and in 1962, they, uh, in, uh, it was, uh, the town was called uh, Salisbury back then. It's now called Harare. Uh, they had a, um, a tent mission in a suburb of the town. Uh, and so Stephen and his friends decided that they would go and firebomb this tent mission. He'd grown up with a very deep suspicion of the church, and he had wanted nothing to do with it. And he and his friends plotted to go and cause as much damage as possible. So they turn up on the evening uh, of the first evening of this uh, fire, you know, of this uh, you know tent mission, with this plan. And they'd got like you know petrol in bottles and and lighters and all sorts of things. And they went in and slunk in and stood at the back. 
and uh, with this horrible intent. But what happened was that Stephen found himself gripped by the speaker's message. I don't know if that's ever happened to you where you've rocked up to church, you've, maybe your heart's not been, I hope you haven't gone to church with the intention of firebombing it, but if you've ever woken up in the morning thinking, oh, I just really don't want to go to church today, and you've pushed through, and then the, the worship has hit you like a ton of bricks, the message has been like it's been spoken straight to you, well, this happened to Stephen. Stephen was there at the back of the tent, and he thought the speaker was speaking just to him, and he, got, he fell under the convic conviction of the power of God. Uh, and he found himself, when the, when the speaker made an appeal, who would like to come under the blood of Jesus? Who would like to give their life to the Lord? Stephen found himself running forwards and kneeling and sobbing and saying, yeah, that's me, I want it. Very much to his surprise. Uh, and as he was doing this, um, one of his other gang members misunderstood what the signals were supposed to be to start the trouble and just went ahead and started the trouble anyway. And so firebombs were being thrown, uh, the tent was erupted into chaos, people stampeded out, uh, the, the police arrived, there were batons being thrown, you know, batons were being waved at people. Um, it was absolute mayhem. And at one point, when Stephen sort of staggered out of the tent towards the end, one of his mates was literally lying on the grass with a knife in his chest. I mean, we're talking serious, serious uh, disturbance here. Um, but the bottom line was that Stephen made a decision that night to become a follower of Jesus. And then his life gradually turned around. He was taken under someone's wing. Uh, a, a really fatherly chap took him in and uh, took him into his mission. And he had to go through all sorts of basic things. We were, looking, we're talking about things like how to hold a knife and fork, how to eat properly without sort of spitting out your food, how to wear, wear clothes, how to brush your teeth, how to tie your shoelaces. This lad had had none of that. Uh, and this guy then coached him and grew him, and, uh, and he grew stronger in his, his manners and his way and started to learn to read and write, and, and uh, he started to become a powerful evangelist for the Lord because, as you can imagine, he'd got a powerful testimony. Uh, this, this, so he went on. In fact, Stephen Lungu went on to become chairman of something called African Enterprise, which is a federation of evangelistic associations throughout Africa. And he, he's gone on to have the most amazing life, fruitful um, uh, you know, reaching out to people with his own testimony, telling them about Jesus, uh, telling them what happened of that night of the, uh, of the evangelistic crusade, and so on and so on. Forward wind, 30 years, and he's uh, been booked into a speaking engagement in South Africa in a town called Durban. And uh, I, I, went, I once went on holiday to Durban. Uh, I don't know if anyone here has ever been to Durban or has come from South Africa, but we went down there on holiday. But uh, St Stephen was asked to go to a little church in the back streets of Durban, um, but he was asked as a surprise. It wasn't part of his speaking schedule. Uh, so he was part of a kind of a big conference tour that was going on, and somebody said, listen, the pastor in this church on this particular night has been taken ill. Do you mind um, if you could come and speak for us? in his place. And so Stephen said, yeah, no problem. And he realized that it would be a kind of couple of hours drive out of his way, you know, an hour there, hour back. But he said, no, do you know what? I'll do that. He went to this church, never been there before in his life uh, to bring a message. Okay. He's at the front. He's standing, giving the message and he starts to give his testimony. And these two old ladies stand up at the back and they kind of come shuffling forward and they kind of say, hey, hey, uh, we, we just want to say something. And, and, you know, I, I just need to let you into a secret. If that happens here, I get very nervous, okay? I'm like, don't let me into a secret now. Tell me at the end, you know, because I'm in the middle of speaking. Please don't do this. And he did the same thing. He was like, ladies, do you mind? I'm, I'm in the middle of my message. Please, can we just leave this to the end? They were absolutely adamant, and for a good reason. 
they came forward and they, they stopped the meeting and he said, what is it that you need? And they said, we need to show you something. We believe that we prayed for you on that night in May 1962 to get saved. Let me share with you from this book. Now, I'm sorry, this will be a total pot plot spoiler for you, but this is one of the best answered prayers I've ever, ever come across. It's so, so good. Uh, let me just read quickly to you what it says. It says this. Um, uh, yeah, so the, 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 the two old ladies come forward and uh, they, they give their Bible to him. Look at this. It is my Bible. Look at what it says there, one of them said. She pointed shakily to a page at the back. The soft leather of the Bible was limp with use and age, the paper thin. There was some handwriting on a page at the back, faded and hard to read. It began with a date, 14th of May, 1962. Beside the date was written a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, will you save one gang leader tonight? And 14th of, the, 14th of May, 1962, had been the night of my conversion. Now, these two old ladies had never been to Zimbabwe. They had heard about the tent mission back in the 60s. They had prayed that, and one of them had written it in, her, in the back of her Bible. And look what happened. Stephen Lungu got saved that night, and God answered that prayer. Not only did he answer that prayer, he then led Stephen 30 years later to find out who those ladies were who'd prayed for him. Isn't that an incredible thing? Atheists, I challenge you everywhere. Give me a reasonable explanation for how that happened without God. It's not possible. That is an awesome answer to prayer. Really highly recommend that book. But it leads me very nicely into the subject of today, which was that Stephen Lungu gave his life because the preacher was speaking about the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus as the most important feature or, or aspect of who Jesus is, and Jesus is the most important person who ever lived. And so that stands to reason that his blood is important. It really, really is. Um, I'm going to give you some brief teaching from uh, some scriptures in the Old Testament and the New, just a couple from the Old, a couple from the New, just to tell you what the blood does and how it works. And then we're going to understand some of the ways in which Jesus' blood was shed for us and how it redeems our lives. And we're going to talk through that. Um, Leviticus 17.11 says this, and this is the Lord giving an explanation to Moses about um, a practice in the Old Testament of uh, animal sacrifice that allowed blood to be shed, and then that blood was used um, as part of a process by which people and God could be made at one, a process called atonement or at one Leviticus 17.11 says this, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have appointed it to you to make atonement on the altar for your lives, since it is the lifeblood that makes atonement. In other words, when you slaughter an animal before me, says the Lord, and the, the lifeblood runs out, and you spread the lifeblood on the altar, that satisfies my need for some payment to be made for your sin, and therefore we are at one again. That's the process that I'm going to give you, says the Lord, for the Old Testament. That's how it works. That's how it fits together. Um, then in Leviticus, just rewinding a chapter to Leviticus chapter 16, verse 14, um, there are instructions for the way in which the priest is to spread that blood on the altar. If you can imagine that the tent of meeting is like a kind of a big space, and it's got an inner sanctum area, and then that inner sanctum is divided in two, and at the back of the inner sanctum there's a, a place called the, the most holy place, which has got the altar of God, it's got the Ark of the Covenant, it's got the cherubim facing each other. It's a place that only the high priest can enter once a year, 
But the instructions God gives are here in Leviticus 16. He's to take some of the bull's blood. So a bull, a bull has been slain and there's blood, there's blood been shed. And sprinkle it with his finger against the east side of the mercy seat. The mercy seat was in the, the most holy place. Then he will sprinkle some of the blood with his finger before the mercy seat seven times. So that's the procedure and the instructions that God gives for the Old Testament for the use of blood in order to create atonement, to create connection between God and people again, where people have caused a split because of their sin. People have been caused to fall away because of the wrong things they've done. And God mends that through the sacrifice of animals. Now we forward wind to the New Testament, and that's replaced by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and the shedding of his blood for us. And that becomes a, a better um, uh, sacrifice. It is the permanent sacrifice. It is the holy sacrifice. It is the complete sacrifice that ends all of the animal sacrifices because Jesus is perfect and Jesus comes from God and he is able to sacrifice and atone for all sins of all time through his shed blood. Um, Hebrews puts it like this. Hebrews 9, 11 and 12 says this, but Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. We're talking about a new covenant here in the New Testament, a new agreement that replaces the old. In the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, referring to Jesus and referring to heaven, that is, not of this creation, he entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. So Jesus gets in there, uh, and when he goes to the cross and his blood is shed, his blood is the perfect sacrifice for all sin for all time. Uh, but it's, got a, it's prefigured in the Old Testament with the sacrifice of animals. And then what Jesus does at the Last Supper is he announces the new covenant in his blood. He says this in Luke 22 there. You can see that in your notes, Luke 22:30. In the same way, he also the took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. He announces it. When we take communion together and we take the bread and we take the wine, we are remembering what Jesus did on the cross in the destruction of his body and in the shedding of his blood. And that's the new covenant. That's essentially, that's the New Testament. Old Testament is... We'll, we'll sacrifice some animals, and we'll have to keep on doing it. New Testament is, Jesus is sacrificed, and that's it. It's good enough. It's complete. Uh, when Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, he meant it. It's, it's done. The blood of Christ is sufficient. So there's the teaching. That's the, that's the kind of the theological bit in, in giving you the setting for why the blood is important. Uh, when lifeblood is drained, you know, people, people of all ages and, and times, even before the advance of medical science, know that the life is in the blood. And if you lose too much blood, you're in a dangerous place, aren't you? Because the life-carrying properties it has disappear quickly. Jesus gave us his life-carrying properties as a sacrificial gift so that we could have life. That's how it works. A substitute has gone on, and we looked at that when we had um, the message on substitutionary atonement. We put the sins on the goat, and the goat walked away. And therefore, we're left free to connect with God. And last week, we looked at the Passover, didn't we? The, the spreading of the blood on the lintels, covering people. This week, we're going to develop that idea even further and understand what the blood does for us uh, on the cross uh, when Jesus goes to the cross and the at that time. I'm going to suggest seven things to us. This will be a passage that no doubt, or, or this will be a set of ideas that no doubt many of you will have heard preached before. I understand that. 
And I, I, please understand, I, I approach this message today, as with many of the cross messages, well, with all my messages, but particularly this message with a sense of trepidation uh, and, and a great deal of reverence because of how big it is. We're talking about the most important person in the history of the, the world, and we're talking about the most important thing that he brings, which is his blood, which he sheds for us. And, and I'm, I'm feeling a little bit overawed by that, if I'm really honest. And I'm going to do my best to try and give it some, because I think it's really worth it. But just bear with me. This is, going to, this is a big message today, okay? There are, there are seven things, and I, I've identified seven words. They all happen to begin with P, but I think that they summarize something of the essence that Jesus is trying to bring to us in his shed blood. Number one, purpose. Number one purpose. Read with me. Luke uh, 22:44 says this. Being in anguish, he, that's Jesus, prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops, drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is envisaging or anticipating the purpose to which he has been called by God. That purpose is to lay down his life as a ransom for many. He, Jesus declares his purpose, I've come to, uh, to seek and to save the lost, doesn't he? And his purpose, as God sets it out for him, is to go to the cross and to lay down his life, to have his blood shed, and for his blood to be sprinkled as the perfect sacrifice over us all. But we are now the night before that. And I don't know about you, but if you've been... Has anyone here ever shed their blood for Christ? Maybe one or two of you have. I came close one time to a bit of a punch-up in a church situation, and I was like, I nearly got a punch, and then I didn't. And I thought, man, if that had landed on me, I probably would have lost a bit of blood. And we won't go into that. That's a sermon for another day, or maybe never. I don't know. Um, but I, So I, I don't know if you've ever shed blood for Christ. I haven't, other than that. You, you know, and, and there are many people in the world who have shed blood for Christ, and repeatedly so, and, and have died for Christ. Jesus is envisaging the purpose to which he has been called in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what's happening is the pressure is so great that the, the blood vessels in his head are mixing with the sweat glands under his hairline. And they're mixing together and you're getting a mixture of blood and sweat coming down. It's a very rare condition and it's associated with extreme pressure. If you're under extreme pressure and you're sweating blood, that's what's going on. Something's broken down just below the surface of your skin. And that represents um, what we're called to do in our purpose. Jesus had a purpose, and he shed blood over his purpose. And in shedding blood over his purpose, he sheds and sprinkles his purifying blood over your purpose. And I want to ask you, what is your purpose today? What are you being called to do by Jesus with your life? You have one life. You need to live it for Jesus, and you need to live it incredibly fruitfully for him. What is the purpose that Jesus has called you to that he sprinkled his blood in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was envisaging his purpose and wrestling with it in God? Can I encourage you to go on a journey of understanding what your purpose in God is because it's a whole lot more glorious and amazing and, and incredible and probably filled with all sorts of uh, exciting things and dangers and lots of stuff than you'd ever thought could be possible in your life. Jesus will take you on an incredible adventure with him if you decide to just try and find out what it is that your purpose is in him. What is your purpose going to be? Because Jesus has redeemed your purpose as he sweated blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. Amen? 
Secondly, privacy. Mark 14, verse 65 there, says this. Then some began to spit on him, to blindfold him, and to beat him, saying, prophesy. The temple servants also took him and slapped him. Now, the Bible writers don't say that Jesus' blood was shed, but I'm telling you that if you get slapped and punched and beaten, you're going to get bleeding below the surface. You're going to get internal bleeding. You're going to get bruising. Jesus shed his blood on the inside. For me, that represents the redemption of privacy. Jesus sprinkles his blood on your privacy today. All the things that have been hidden about you or are hidden about you, he redeems them through his shed blood that was shed on the inside of him. Have you ever been in situations where you, they were so vile and so awful that all you could do was internalize it? And they've just gone on the inside of you forever after. And if that's been the case, my recommendation is maybe some talking about that might be good for you. But we've all faced things and put things kind of down on the inside of us that are abuses of us as people. They are bruising, aren't they? They're, they're things that were, you know, those playground fights or those names that we got called or that racism in the workplace or the bypassed opportunity that somebody made sure you didn't get or the unpleasantness from a neighbor or the wrangling in a family or the fights you had in school or whatever it was, those internal situations that you've just taken and put on the inside of yourself and you've just gone, mm, that was rubbish, God. And you've just buried it. Jesus uh, was in the situation we, where we're talking about here from Mark. He was at Caiaphas's house having a trial that should have never happened. It was in private. It was religious, with religious leaders who were beating up on him, literally. They could not accept that he was the son of God, and yet he was, but their blindness didn't allow them to see that, and so they, they started to attack him and cause bruising. Have you ever been bruised in your physicality or in your emotions or in your spirituality in ways that you've never really been able to bring to Jesus? Because what Jesus would say to you this morning is he has been bruised for you as well. He has shed his blood on the inside for your inside as well. And he redeems it. He makes it okay again. He identifies with you in that. You are not on your own. Jesus went there with you in, that in those times that are so private that you don't feel you can ever really share them. Jesus redeems our privacy when he goes to Caiaphas' house and has bruising. Number three, the past. Matthew 27, verse 26. Then he, that's uh, Pilate, released Barabbas, Barabbas to them, and after having Jesus flogged, handed him over to be crucified. Jesus went to the whipping post, and just so that you understand the severity of that, he had 39 lashes of Roman whips. And we're not just talking sticks here, although sticks would be terrible. We're talking like long leather thongs that have got bits of bone and glass and metal tied into them. They rip the flesh off your back, literally. Some people died from a Roman flogging just on its own. The fact that Jesus was able to carry his cross up the hill is unbelievable that he did it. That he even made it to the cross. And what a flogging does and what the blood shed from his, his, the flogging wounds on his back is it represents everything that's behind us, everything in our past, 
everything garbagey and messy and horrible and rubbish about stuff that's happened to us in our past, including the stuff that we ourselves have got wrong, you know, the stuff where we've made mistakes, the stuff where we've fallen out with people, the stuff where we don't speak to that person anymore because we kind of fell out with them and can't, we don't know how to repair it, um, the missed opportunities, the bodge-ups, the sins, uh, the, just the outright stupid, pig-headed mistakes that we've made throughout our lives, all of that stuff in the past, Jesus redeems it at the flogging post. His blood shed on his back, representing what lies behind redeems what lies behind you this morning. All of your history is redeemed this morning. All of your history is sprinkled with a perfect blood that makes it right again. Now, I'm not saying there aren't consequences from stuff in the past. I'm not saying that justice doesn't need to be done. I'm not saying there isn't impact still. But all of us in this room know that because Jesus went to the, to, to, to the flogging post, our own past has been redeemed. You are sitting this morning in the space, and if you are in this space and online, and if you are a follower of Jesus, you can know spiritually, theologically, it's a truth that your past has been made right with God because of Jesus' whipping at the whipping post. It has been made right. And some of us need to get on board with that truth, including me. I'm preaching to myself. I'm terrible with this. I keep revisiting stuff in the past, and God keeps going, Nick, we have moved on from that. Please, would you let go and move on? God forgets our sins faster than we do sometimes. God moves on into our future faster than we're prepared to let him sometimes. The Lord has redeemed your past and he did it at the whipping post with the blood shed from the flogging that he received. Purpose, privacy, past. Number four, person. Our person is redeemed by the crown of thorns. Let me explain what I mean by that. Um, when they were in the Praetorium, which was the uh, soldiers' garrison or headquarters next to Pilate, uh, next to kind of in the center of Jerusalem, uh, next to Pilate's headquarters or his, you know, his rooms and so on, um, the soldiers gathered together. This is where the flogging happened. But they also twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and clothed him in a purple robe. John 19:2. Now, many speakers and commentators have said, you know, is that not the redemption of our thinking? And, you know, and, and, and Jesus' blood is sprinkled on our thinking. And I think they're right. Uh, you know, there's a great case to say that the crown of thorns represent blood shed on our, on our heads through Jesus' crown of thorns represents the redemption of our thinking. But I think it goes more than that. I think it goes to our person. Because Jesus, Jesus, was, a, Jesus was a king, isn't he? And, and by putting a crown of thorns on Jesus' head, you are, you are mocking and going right to the heart of, of his identity, who he's being called to be by God. You know, Philippians 2 says that uh, every knee will bow at the name of Jesus, and that only happens to a genuine king. All earthly kings are pale copies of the kingship of Jesus. And so when the Roman soldiers put a crown of thorns on Jesus' head, they attack his person because he is a king. This isn't somebody wanting to be a king or aspiring to be a king or trying to be a king or grabbing kingship because he wants it but doesn't have it. No, this, is, this person is a king. That is who he is. And in, in mocking that and putting, putting a crown of thorns on his head, they attack that identity. And so what I want to say to us is that we may not be kings, but in watching Jesus have a crown of thorns put on his head, we have our identity and our personhood redeemed. In the same way, whatever person we're created to be, you are a unique person and absolutely irreplaceable. There is nobody who can replace you. 
the crown of thorns tells us that we are redeemed in our identity, in our personhood. Jesus had the humility to allow his personhood to bleed from the most important place of his body, if you like, or one of the most important places. I think another very important place we'll see in a minute is his heart. But blood's coming down from the head when you're a king because you've got a crown of thorns. That's your personhood. And therefore, he redeems our personhood when he sprinkles his blood from that place. As Jesus goes up the hill, number five, and he spreads out his hands for the cross, and his, his feet are nailed to the cross as well, we see two more places where he sheds his blood. First of all, from his hands. And I think his hands represent productivity. Number five, productivity. If we look at John 20, 25 there, uh, we see Thomas being unsure about what's happened to Jesus. Uh, it says this in, in, in that passage. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the marks of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe, says Thomas. And of course, he then does see it and puts his hand there and he does believe. And then he says, my Lord and my God, and he worships him. Our hands represent what we do. They represent our productivity. They represent our fruitfulness before God. Can I just let you know the nails didn't go through here? A body weight will not be supported by a nail here. It will rip out this way, like that. They go here in the wrists where the, the bones of the, of the wrist join. That's the only place that's strong enough to hold human weight. And so as the nails are driven into Jesus' wrists on the cross and the blood is shed... Jesus redeems what we do with our hands, our productivity, our livelihoods, our work, our careers, the things he has built us and made us to do. For you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good things and be fruitful. A very bad paraphrase of Ephesians 2.10. Jesus redeems our work in allowing his blood to be shed from his wrists and his hands, all the things that we do. Number six, place. Luke 24, 40 says this, having said this, he showed them his hands and feet. Kevin mentioned the journey on the road to Emmaus with Cleopas and his friend, and one of the proofs at the end of that interchange is that Jesus shows them the holes, not just in his hands, but in his feet as well. And in nailing Jesus to the cross, Jesus redeems all the places we would set our foot all the places that we would go, all the places we would walk. I don't know where you've walked uh, in your life or where you've been and where you've traveled. I don't know if you have a pedometer and you count your steps every day. The Lord goes with you every step of the way. Joshua, in the, in the beginning of Joshua, the, the Lord promises Joshua, wherever you set your foot, I will be with you. Affirming to, him that, uh, affirming to Joshua that, that Joshua is to have dominion in the promised land as he takes the promised land for the people of Israel. When Jesus' blood was shed from his feet, it redeemed our sense of place, our sense of belonging to a location, our sense of dominion, the dominion that was broken at the fall when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and were sent out of the Garden of Eden. Remember the Lord said you had to have dominion over the earth? Jesus restores our dominion and our sense of where we are through the blood shed through the nails that went through Jesus' feet. Many of us in this church and in this city have come from somewhere else. 
And we feel that sense of place keenly, don't we? A bit of our heart is perhaps off in another country or a bit of our heart is in a different place. What God says to you is where you are, I am with you. Wherever you are, I am with you. I bless you. I restore dominion to you. My blood has been shed from my feet so that wherever your feet are, you will be blessed and you will know that I am with you. Lastly, number seven, our passion. John 19.34. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once blood and water came out. And the medical understanding of that is that uh, like a, a watery sack will form around the heart in the last stages of life before death. And the, uh, a blood clot will separate from serum and it go, blood gets very sticky and dark and stops flowing so well. And more of the plasma separates out and it becomes more watery. And that's like a proof text for the imminent death of Jesus because that only happens when someone's about to give up their life. And a soldier pierces Jesus' side with a spear and out comes what seems like blood and water. And it was only in like the 1850s, 1860s that doctors started to realize the truth of that. They thought it was a fiction. And they started to understand the process by which that might be true. But when that soldier did that and that blood was shed from that place, Jesus redeemed our passion. He redeemed the place from where we feel. He redeemed the place from where we have our relationships. He redeemed the place from which we care about, the things that we're absolutely passionate about. I don't know what it is about, about things in life that gets you passionate or gets you worked, out, but worked up, but whatever it is, Jesus redeems it. With blood shed from this place, he redeems your passion. What is it that makes you mad? What is it that makes you excited and passionate? Jesus calls you to that today. He calls you to it. What is the thing he's asking you to allow your passion to come out for? Because he's redeemed it through his shed blood on the cross. Can I call you, BCC, to a sense of possibility about your lives again? Maybe, my, I don't know whether this is a prophetic word or quite in that space, but I think for some of us, we've been beaten down by the pandemic. We're beaten down by uncertainty. We're beaten down by economic issues. And I want to call you to a sense of possibility in Christ. Because there is a whole lot of redeeming that goes on through this sprinkling of blood in these seven places that allows us to be free. It sets us free and it moves us forward. What is it that you are passionate about and has that been restricted and does it need to come out again for the glory of God? What is it? Your passion has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus when the spear went into his heart in the cross, at the cross. I'm going to ask us all to stand. I'm going to ask our worship team to come back up. And Kev, if you just start playing, that's absolutely appropriate. Please would you stand with me, BCC, this morning. Today is a day in which we should do some business with God. We should come and respond to who uh, Jesus is in the way that he has shed his blood for us in these, place, in these seven ways. Isn't it amazing that in as book as ancient as Leviticus, the, the priest was asked to spread the blood seven times, and then we see that in how Jesus shed his blood. And it's not like Jesus organized that, was it? That was done to him by other people. How does God work that kind of thing out? I have absolutely no idea, and yet he has, because number seven is the, God of, is the, is the number of God, it's the number of perfection. It's God's seal upon perfection. 
How does God do that stuff? Work events so that they parallel in that way. That just blows my mind this morning. If you are wrestling with your purpose today, what is it that you've been called to do in God? Who are you about? What is it that you, you're being called to by God and you're not sure? I'm going to ask you to leave the seat where you're standing and just make your way quietly to the front and to bring that to the Lord. Seriously, just move. If that's something that's been on your mind for a while, what is my purpose? What, I'm supposed to be, what am I supposed to be doing, Lord God? What is it that I'm supposed to be doing? If there has been something in your privacy that you know has been bruised by an interaction or series of interactions or something from your past where there has bleeding, there has bleeding gone on in your spirit, your emotions, or under the surface, why don't you come and give that to Jesus? Because what you will find is Jesus will understand that. He understands what it's like to bleed, to bleed below the surface. And he redeems your bleeding below your surface. And he says, I identify with you. Come and, come and join with me. Be my follower. Come alongside me. I get you. And I appreciate that it's a hard thing to walk out and identify with. What about your past? Are there some things from your, are there some things from your past that you would really love to just know that Jesus has sprinkled with his holy and perfect blood? Maybe, maybe you've done this a lot of times in the past, but today something new has been prompted in your spirit. And the Holy Spirit is saying, oh man, you need to go and lay that down with the Lord. Because he is sprinkling his blood upon his church today. I've got to tell you, Jesus is sprinkling his blood on his church today. And that applies to you guys online as well as in the room. If there's anything in your past about which you have a regret anything to do with sin, anything to do with missed opportunities, anything that you look back on and you just go, oh, come down the front and in this quiet space at the altar, give that to Jesus because he has fully redeemed it and it is okay now. It's okay now. That's a prophetic word for somebody. It's okay now. What you've had in your past is okay now. Jesus has sprinkled it with his blood. Do you need to bring your person under the blood of Jesus today? Just the whole of you, the whole of your identity, who, you're, who, you, who you are. Do you need to bring that to Jesus today? Do you just want your personhood as represented by the crown of the king? Just blessed by that king because he wants to bless you with his shed blood today. And he will do that. The amazing thing is that by, by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is right in the room doing this right now. Do you need the Lord to redeem your productivity, the stuff that you do, your career, all the things you put your, work, your life's work into, all your aspirations for the work you're about to embark on, all the training you've put in, all the skills and the talents you have, all the stuff that you do, all your fruitfulness, do you need the Lord to bless that today? Because he wants to. He wants to sprinkle it with his blood. Those of you with high-powered careers, do you want to give that over to the Lord again today? Those of you who've been trying and trying and trying to get a job, come down the front and the Lord will sprinkle that with his blood because he wants to bless the productivity of your hands. How about place? Is there anybody in the room or online who feels out of place? who feels like they don't belong. I sometimes feel that way. I'm from Zimbabwe. I feel like a fish out of water in the UK still. 
And it's, year, it's decades on from that time. So some of you must feel that even more keenly than me. Listen, the Lord has sprinkled your sense of place by allowing his blood to be shed from his feet so that wherever your feet go, you belong. You belong. You belong in this place where you are now. Because you're here today, you belong because Jesus is with you. Amen? And lastly, what is your passion? What is the thing that gets your goat? What is the thing that makes you uh, really riled? What is the thing that you're really, really wanting to see change in the world? What is that relationship that you feel so strongly about? Jesus sprinkles that with his blood from the spear that pierced his heart up on the cross. I I would like to think in my imagination, I'm not sure if this really happened or not, but I would like to think that that Roman centurion who was responsible for making sure he died, who then said at the end of Mark's gospel, surely this man was the son of God, I would love to believe that he had a a little bit of the drop of Jesus' own blood touch him. Because if that were true, we ourselves today would identify with that because a drop of Jesus' blood is touching you right now, church. Receive it. The blood of Jesus is touching you right now and he is making you whole and right with God in every single capacity you can imagine. We're going to worship now. And for those of you who've come down the front, in fact, everybody in the room and online, the blood of Jesus is touching you. You are being touched by his blood today. His precious blood is yours. And by it, you are made whole and clean and right with God. Amen? Let's sing.